All right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead and make sure you're caffeinated and feel free to have a seat. I'm sure your conversations will be there for you in another 50 minutes. Um, it's great to be up here today. Um, I first actually need two volunteers who would like to wander around and pass tiny papers out. All right, so I know that there are people passing out papers, but I do ask you to resist the temptation to read it quite yet. So feel free to exercise that um, self-control for a moment. Um, my name is Abby Long, and it is truly an honor to be up here today and to share with you and listen and actually learn from you as well. Um, I've actually attended here for almost a year. I went to Wheaton College for my undergrad degree and graduated in 2013, and I attended here for a couple years when I had access to wheels. So, not until basically junior year. Um, that being said, the wheels, you know, being somewhat prohibitive to attending regularly, I really enjoyed it and was really excited to return here when I moved back at the beginning of this year. Um, I'm actually a native Oregonian. Any Oregon love out there? Okay, apparently not. Also, it is Oregon, not Oregon, but I'm willing to accept you if you mispronounce it. I know that we're living in Illinois, so there's room for, room for uh, generosity on that front. Um, so anyway, I uh, moved back to this area and I've actually been a teacher for the last five years in a variety of venues. I've taught everywhere from sixth grade, which, <laughs> It's a lot um, to uh, actually high school all the way up through 12th grade. Um, English is actually my focus and my training, but I've also very comically taught French um, how to count, and that's pretty much it. But um, that was an interesting experience. And then I've also taught a variety of other sort of elective type subjects. Um, I have taught in a variety of settings, both um, public Title I schools, really high needs areas, including in Nashville. Um, I've taught at a private Christian school in Oregon. I've taught in a migrant education program, which really just opened my eyes to a variety of um, previously, to me, unknown struggles that people face when trying to learn English. And then also, I've um, even subbed in a jail, which was really fascinating and a great experience to meet some incarcerated youth and help them learn to read and actually to add. Um, a 17-year-old boy, he never learned to add, and in three days, he could add, which was remarkable. So anyway, I just find um, teaching to be such a draining, but also replenishing activity. Um, and so I'm really eager to share with you about Hilda of Whitby, who is actually the patron saint of learning um, and of poetry. So two winners, I believe. Um, I actually have a complicated uh, relationship with teaching. I've had several rather traumatic experiences as an educator during my five-year teaching career. However, I keep coming back to it, um, mainly because I am in love with learning myself, and um, it's just such a sacred and transformative process. I think whenever you're there and you can see a student change her mind, even just by one degree, it really feels to me like being present at a moment of creation, because this is a new being in front of you who is seeing the world in a different way than she had imagined before. And that's really an honor. Um, so that being said, um, please join me in reading the relevant passage from our liturgy. All right, so go ahead and read this with me. For Benedict and Francis, Hilda and Bede, and for all who deepen our common life in Christ, thanks be to God. Amen. So it's interesting because this sort of group of saints, it doesn't say for those who instruct us and make us do homework, um, but it says for those who deepen our common life in Christ. Um, I'd love to hear from a few of you about what you think that means. How does that connect to learning, for example? Any ideas? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it draws us together when we are spending time with the mind, exercising the mind together. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
exactly if I have a definition here or, or what I think about that, but I'm really struck by the word common, mm -hmm. uh, both in a sort of common in terms of community, that bringing together, that was just mentioned, but also in the terms of ordinariness. Yeah. I love the idea that it might be also deepening our ordinariness, our, our sort of understanding of ordinariness as well as community. Sure, yes. It's not our, our fancy life in Christ or our once-a-week life in Christ, right? It's our common life, yes. So learning is a practice, right? Learning is an ongoing, uh, much like your cells are constantly turning over, it's similar with learning. Um, it's never not happening in some way. Um, so yeah, that's a really interesting connection there as well. like that. Any other connections you see? between our common life in Christ and deepening that and the process of learning. <coughs> yes? Uh, Abby, I'm an uh, extrovert, so I learn by dialogue. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Not to sort of extrapolate backwards, technology-wise, but communication is our worldwide web, right? I mean, when we're speaking with each other, that's how we can, you know, transfer an idea that we have, maybe half-formed, to another person who then picks up the other side and helps complete that for us. So that is a transformative group process. I mean, if you're just talking by yourself to yourself, you know... I'd recommend a counselor. I recommend a counselor for everyone, but also that would be a particular case where it's not as productive, right? You sort of lose connection to reality and almost spin off into your own world. So yes, I think that actually it keeps us grounded. Um, there's almost a weight to learning when you're learning and growing in wisdom, not just facts. I love facts, but wisdom is really what I enjoy the most. Um, and that almost gives you this grounding where when other things come at you that sort of disrupt your ecosystem, you actually are able to rebalance, much like one of those weird balloons, um, you know, have this weight at the bottom, and it keeps you, I think, centered in a way. Yes, Maria. Yeah, and I mean, what are we learning about, right? What is all knowledge? It's all God's knowledge, right? Um, we can't know more than our creator, but we can, I like to think of it, weird analogy, but I like to think of it as an asymptote in math where you're getting closer and closer to the truth, but you never get to be God. I won, I learned all the things. No, that's not possible, but we do get to continually get closer and closer, which is a really invigorating task. Thank you for sharing that. Great. All right. So on to Hilda. Um, I hit the wrong button, but I have now learned in action. There we go. Um, so actually, before we get to Hilda, I do want to ask a few other questions of you. What are some common misconceptions about learning, about what it means for you as a person if you don't know something, about what it means if someone else has not caught up on something that you think they should know? What are some misconceptions? And I will say, we can totally Nathan the prophet this. So you, if you want to talk about those people who think this thing that's totally erroneous, that's fine. It still gets to the truth, all right? Any ideas? Yes, Phil. But you had to learn it while you were young, otherwise it's Classic miss the boatism, right? Yes. If you think, oh, man, I should have known this already. I should have learned this when I was young and in that really learny age. Then, yeah, that actually just brings on condemnation from yourself, right? Yes, Jennifer. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's, that's nefarious, <laughs> yes. That a uh, summary is mm. sufficient for learning something. Mm. I found that a uh, learning process where it's difficult to learn something actually causes you to internalize and actually transforms you into the image of the knowledge you're learning rather than just a sort of surface level. It's like you internalize it as a part of you yeah, absolutely. That's um, more of a wrestling, right? Like wrestling with God and being marked by that as opposed to just being like, hey, God, high five, running away now, right? Yes. That everything's black and white. Mm, absolutely. And that, 
Great segue, actually, but I'm going to go to two more people, so hang on to that. Um, yes? That everybody learns the same way. Absolutely. If we did, how boring. <laughs> then we'd all know the exact same thing and be like, hey, what's up? Here's this thing that I know that you also know. The end. No discussion, no dialogue, right? Extroverts would never learn again, right? Uh, very boring. All right, one more. Anyone else? Yes? Mm. Yes. Okay. Good. This is this is good. I'm excited. Do you want to add on to that? No, no, I just... You don't. Okay. All right. That's fine. That's all good. The opportunity will remain. All right. Good. So some misconceptions. Now I will say I currently am actually teaching a first year writing class at Wheaton, and it's been lovely. I really enjoy it. It's hilarious. I'll geek out forever, so just stop me. Um, but I really love seeing this process in students' minds as they arrive fresh from what they feel like was a very laborious high school experience um, into what they think will be this new horizon of collegiate learning. But they don't actually know necessarily what it means to learn something and to love yourself during that process. And so being able to see learning as a mode of sanctification, as a calling for all of us in different ways, and as a very differentiated process is an extremely healthy perspective, I think, that some people never find. So I hope we can all learn that together, actually, if it's not already a part of your internal repertoire. All right, so one more question. Um, and this is about the ideal conditions for learning. There are some interesting parallels, I think, between the ideal conditions for learning and what God wants for us in general. So what are some of the conditions that make learning most feasible? Yes? Safety, absolutely. And that's not just physical safety, right? That's emotional and intellectual safety in a lot of regards. Yes? Uh, kind of a posture of humility. Mm. Yes. I agree. I think an openness to correction and sometimes even an active seeking of correction, right? Show me where I'm going wrong instead of here's what I did. I dare you to correct me, right? It's very different. Yes? Yes, absolutely. If we think of learning as you know, watering a seed and waiting for 28 days for it to germinate, then we need that process of time. Otherwise, it's artificial. Any change will just be already, it really already will have happened, and we're just seeing it for the first time. Time as well? Good. Two votes for time. Mm -hmm. Having slept the night before and eating breakfast? <laughs> yes. It's, it's so true. It's so true. Um, Yes, but truly caring for, you know, not just our, our brain case, but our body, right? Caring for our full being is really, it's a requirement. It's one that we often neglect. Mm -hmm. Yes? There has to be some sort of, like, challenge or struggle to go from what you don't know to what you do know, but not mm -hmm. in a way that's impossible. Yes. If I said, just, just, just run to Canada right now, you will be strong, but y you probably won't do that, right? Yeah, that's very true, very true. Yes? Yeah, it's helpful to have some sort of internal motivation. And again, we all have different levels, I think, and types of accessible motivation. Some people have a hard time getting really excited about a random thing. I am not one of those people, and it can be an affliction, I will say. Um, I kind of want to do whatever I can. I'm like, oh my goodness, orthodonture. This is my calling. No, it's not. Um, but I found it so interesting. Um, so I know that I have an overabundance of that. But other people who don't have that, again, they're actually able to stick with something a little bit longer. So there's virtues to both sides of that equation. Yes? I think this goes along with what Maria just said. Mm -hmm. Developing a sense of curiosity and inquisitiveness. Yes. And that's another practice, much like learning, right? That's that. It's a posture that you can learn to um, enter that sort of way of looking at the world, no matter what your field of interest may be. Great. All right. So notice a lot of these qualities are very similar to what a safe church environment, a safe um, godly community actually looks like. It's a safe place to learn. It's a safe place to grow in Christ and to seek sanctification in an honest way. And that's one thing I run into with students a lot is this really, and, and it's a fear that's been reinforced and sometimes explicitly taught to never reveal that you don't know something. And if you, I mean, it's very much, not to be crass, but it's very much the 
what do you mean people poop sort of attitude. It's like, I'm sorry, but I know it's a fact for all of you. And so the same with learning. If you just assume that everyone knows everything at all times and that there aren't moments of questioning or curiosity or faking it, then you know, you're really asking people to be fake and to not be honest about the fullness of their life experience, which includes prolonged periods of not knowing things and pretending. So I always ask students to just ask the question that sounds dumb to them because it's not dumb to me and it's not dumb to the six or seven other people who have the exact same question and don't even know how to articulate it. All right. So let's continue now on to Hilda herself. So Hilda of Whitby is actually the patron saint of learning and of poetry. And she was an abbess of Whitby in northern England, basically during the 600s AD. Um, and the really interesting thing is we know the most about her life from the Venerable Bede's ecclesiastical history of the English nation. And he writes about her that all who know her call her mother, which is interesting because we don't think that she had any children, but I like to think of her mothership as, not the mothership, but her mothering, I guess, as being much more, um, it's much more about sort of embracing the other. And yes, there's a pun here, but I'm sorry, that's just how I operate. Um, I do see this as a helpful way to remember though. Mothering is actually an embrace of the other. It's taking something that is outside of you and accepting it and hugging it close. And so her um, willingness to work with lay folk, royalty, the whole span in between, and to really offer guidance as they sought it of her was really her act of mothering all those who came into her, into her, into her area. Um, so a little bit more information about our St. Hilda. Um, so she was born in 614. She was actually of royal descent, which, you know, that's frankly probably how she got some of her position, was that she had this um, sort of particularity about her where she had this authority from her noble heritage. However, her noble heritage was not a princess. Um, she was actually a grandniece of King Edwin, and she actually grew up at the beginning of her life in exile. Um, her mother was Celtic and her father was Anglo-Saxon. And so they were actually exiled from the community. Her father mysteriously, when she was um, 13, died by poisoning. And that's all we know because they did a really good job. Um, so basically she was then sent to live with her um, great uncle, King Edwin, you know, good old uncle King Edwin. Um, so she grew up at that court, actually, and there she learned to read, and she became much more studied in actual sort of spiritual literature and practices in a way that she would not have been if she had remained in exile. Um, she ended up actually being called by St. Aidan. Now he's a saint. He wasn't then, but, you know, working his way there. Um, so Aidan of Lindisfarne, up in the north as well, and he actually recognized her leadership ability as a woman who was growing up in this royal court, and he ended up recruiting her to come and actually help proselytize her area, her native area up there in Northumbria. And so he was having some issues with translating his own language into the local dialect. And so she was there as, as an assistant to that. He actually set her up with a plot of land, which was somewhat unusual at the time, to give a woman a plot of land. What are they going to do with it? So, well, yes, but also <laughs> grow things, including people spiritually. Um, so she ended up um, having several nuns there that lived with her and that she hosted there. And during that time, she actually developed what would become her own spiritual order. So it's really interesting. It was much more improvisational than a lot of the male monasteries at the time because they had a sort of a set template of, okay, here's what we need to include. Here's how it's done. And they would follow a particular discipline. However, Hild, and she went by Hild, by the way, at the time, um, Hild actually developed her own through her readings and sort of her own wisdom of what I value and what I think is going to be valuable for people. And the focus ended up being on learning and literacy. And that was not actually the go-to thing for most of the monastic communities during this time. 
There were some that had a huge emphasis on learning and literacy, but not necessarily for common folk. They were a little bit more exclusionary. And again, I wonder if her, um, if her gender in some ways actually led her to understand that as a woman, her seeing this, acting as this role was more of a privilege because of the social constructs of the time and our time too. Um, and so she actually then was more willing to actually spread equity among people who were learning how to read. So it's a little interesting there. Um, so anyway, she helped Aiden of Lindisfarne, and he had good things to say about her, apparently, which, okay, good job review. Um, she, now the thing that's interesting is she, the reason she jumped into religious life is somewhat unknown. Um, it's speculated that she actually may have been a widow because she's referred to by the Venerable Bede as an abbess, but never as a virgin, which was common for most saints posthumously to be described if they were so. And so she was potentially a widow. And the reason why there's just utter silence on her life, the t basically 33 years until she entered the monastic life, was that she may have been married to a pagan who she failed to convert and so they're like, we're just going to leave that off her resume. Um, so, which again, leaves him with very little agency, frankly. Um, but that was sort of an interesting reason why she may have jumped into this life quite suddenly and not had um, sort of this trajectory that would be predictable in that sense. Um, now, the cool thing about her monastery is that she wasn't just like, ladies, follow me, everyone else run away. Um, she actually led a double monastery which was really a pretty unique thing. So she had both men and women in the same monastic community, the same order, and they had, um, there's some scholarly debate about whether they all participated in the community together. Um, one group of people sort of assumes that, oh, it must have been that the men were there basically to lift the heavy things and open the jars of pickles, right? Um, you know, to put it in common modern parlance. Um, However, more scholars actually contend that she had them all in the same practices spiritually and that they would potentially pray separately, but that they would actually engage in monastic life together as a group. Um, and again, this emphasis that she had was on learning and literacy, whereas others were more about taking you know, vows of poverty and living simplistically and shedding possessions. She actually amassed a large library Another reason why I think she's the bomb. Um, and so she had this large library and was really interested in spreading a variety of a variety of knowledge and learning around her community, which was pretty unique to that time and area. Um, and interestingly, the earliest saint's life in English that we have that's still extant is actually from her community. It was published or written um, shortly after her passing, after her death, but it ar arises out of Whitby, her community, which is pretty remarkable. And we actually don't know if it's written by a man or a woman since they likely shared those duties. So who knows, ladies, where to go potentially? Um, now, the other thing that's really interesting is that she, she has a lot of, like, I think Micah said, there's like this black and white view of learning, like you either know it or you don't, or you're successful, or you're a failure. Um, similar to that, she has a lot of these binaries that she actually supersedes and shows that there's actually, both those things can exist at once. And one such example is her dual emphasis among her, um, the people that were living with her in her community. She emphasized both uh, study of spiritual texts and the scriptures in particular, and setting aside time to do good works. So, you know, classic, you know, Christian church issue of like, I'm just going to think about God or I'm just going to do things that God wants me to do, but also, you know, we can actually do all those things. <laughs> Yay. Um, so she really emphasized sort of the harmony of that and setting particular practices for both at the same time. Um, additionally, not only did she have this community that she fostered and grew, but she also was willing to do one-on-one -on -one counsel with people um, from royal family members across the region to just lay folk. And that's actually where some of her, um, some of the poetry of her patron saintage comes in. She actually is the person who identified and basically supported and encouraged Cadman in seeking his vocation as a poet. And so there's, I'm going to check the time just because would be respectful. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so the really interesting thing, though, about Cadman is that he was just basically a shepherd 
dude, right? And he was out there, he lived in the same, the town of Whitby, but he would go, he actually was so averse, which isn't this a funny kind of God way to do things, where you, you're like, oh, I can't do that, oh, run away, you know? Classic Moses, classic Aaron, kind of classic everyone. Um, so he, whenever there would be a celebration or a feast and there'd be music involved, he would leave. <laughs> He'd just be like, I'm out, I can't do this. If someone would come with a harp, like, oh yeah, we're gonna sing together, he'd be like, the cows need some assistance. I'll be back tomorrow. And so he would actually go into the fields or help you know, the animals, but he would avoid that. Now, he later emerged as a, one of the you know, most lauded early English poets and lyricists. Um, and so what happened was pretty late on in his life, I don't know that we have the exact age, but could be really young, they died pretty quickly back then. But um, basically, he was actually encouraged by Hild to continue and to actually write his verses down. He had a dream one time in a barn when he had escaped basically a party. He was like, oh, the music's coming out, gotta go. He goes to the barn to sleep and he has this dream where there's this figure that appears to him and says, sing to me, it's not fan of the opera, but kind of like that, um, sing to me, Cadman. And Cadman says, no. Um, and then the figure, he's like, I don't do that. And the figure says, no, sing to me. And he says, what, of what? And in this dream, the figure says, sing to me of creation. Sing to me of the beginning of things. And Cadman is like, sure. And so he actually, in his dream, recites these lyrical verses, which when he wakes up, he runs to his master at the time and says, I just got these really cool verses from this dream. What is this? And his master actually took him to Hild and said, let's get her counsel on this. And she's like, yeah, that's your thing, boy. Do it. Um, and so he ends up actually writing them down, adding verses, and writing of sort of the story of creation from a lyrical perspective. And it is still famous, so good move. Um, so that's sort of how she gets her label as the, um, the patron saint of poetry. Um, and really, the thing that's really interesting about that is with learning, he, he sort of ex exhibits learning not just a fact, but about oneself and about one's vocation and about what we we're created to do. And so the cool thing about Hild is that she actually really honors difference among gifts, and she kind of assumes that's how it's supposed to be. Much like we talked about earlier, if we were all the same or all learned the same, then we might as well just be computers or rocks, right? Um, and so since Cadman's gift was so foreign to him at the time until he accepted it, he actually was able to really embrace it fully because it was so strange to him. And the thing that's interesting is that's sort of the dance of learning. Um, we have to listen. Right? We have to listen to whether it's our intuition, whether it's wise counsel. Um, we have to listen to that, the voice of God, through a variety of means. We have to listen to that and hold it in. We have to let it change us and sort of wash over our way of seeing. And then we have to put something back out into the world. It's very much like respiration, right? It's this intake of information or feedback, it's a holding of it, letting it nourish us, and then it's sending it back out into the world. And much like, you know, I mean, I'm, I've definitely breathed more than one time in my life. Um, I'm hoping that you have too. Um, but that actually is, as you can see, a practice that can become much more natural. I've also been a shallow breather for a lot of my life. Thanks, society. Um, so it's something you can also learn how to do better and more effectively and more nourishingly, which is encouraging. So um, I'd like you to now turn to your little tiny handout. I tried to save as much tree as possible. Um, and we're going to read these words that are actually from Hilda of Whitby herself. So um, actually, can I have a volunteer to read this in a loud, very teacher-esque voice? Yes, thank you. Trade with the gifts God has given you. Bend your minds to holy learning. You may escape the fretting moth of littleness of mind that would wear out your souls. Brace your wills to action that they may not be spoils of weak desires. Train your hearts and lips to song, which gives courage to the soul. Being buffeted by trials, learn to laugh. Being reproved, give thanks. Having failed, determine to succeed. Thank you so much. 
So those are words that Hilda wrote herself. And what I, I, I kind of love, well, I just love like pretty much every word, not going to lie. But um, I love each section of this for a lot of different reasons. But I'd like to first focus on that first line there. Trade with the gifts God has given you. I'd like you to take a moment and think about what are the gifts that God has given you. It can be, since that language is somewhat trite, we hear it a lot, it's, it's an important concept, but it's sort of like a worn out shoe and that we're like, heard it a million times. Um, I would actually like to think, you to think in terms of abundance. What is just so natural to you that other people are like, yeah, that's so natural to you. And that you're like, well, I didn't realize that that's really hard for other people maybe. Um, so maybe your abundance is kind words, encouraging others. Maybe your abundance is in identifying needs, even if you don't know what to do about them. Maybe your abundance is in being quick and willing to act. Maybe your abundance is in patiently sitting and being with people silently when they're in pain. Maybe your abundance is in creating beauty or harnessing it in some sort of creative act. Maybe your abundance is in active listening. Maybe your abundance is in speaking. Your abundance could be in actual physical or monetary gifts, but I feel like that can be a trap because we write a physical other object off as our gift when actually it's maybe the generosity or the desire to help people with that that is the gift. So take a moment to think about that silently, and then there will be a little bit of accountability. So I'll give you about a minute. All right, so I sort of did not tell the whole truth. I'm not going to give you a minute. I'm going to give you what felt like a good pause. Um, so that being said, I am now going to enact one of the really important components of learning, which is to care for your physical body by moving. So I would like you to stand up and go move somewhere at least four feet to talk to another person. And I want you to tell them what you came up with about yourself. This is not bragging. This is sharing the face of God with that person. So. Take it seriously.
All right, let's go about uh, 15 more seconds so you can return to your seat. your abundance is overwhelming, which is a great sign. But go ahead and wrap up your conversation and have a seat. <laughs> All right, our cups runneth over, it's great. So what I'm gonna have you do is something I often do with students, which throws them for a loop in the best possible way. It sort of diffuses um, personal responsibility while not doing that, which is great. Um, so anyway, I would love for a few people to share something in someone else's abundance that was shared with you. So not what yours is, you've already shared that, you can do it again later. Um, but share something amazing that you heard from someone else that's different from your own. I just heard a lot of talking. I know there's some out there. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I talked to Kelly here and found out that she's an idea person. That mm. I think she just naturally produces all kinds of an abundance of ideas. And some of her jobs have allowed her to do that. Wow, that's great. Thank you. It's wonderful. I'll share. Sure. So I spoke to Michael, and he's a good listener, and he sees mm -hmm. hope in others. Mm -hmm. I've seen that <laughs> Great, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I talked to Andreas, and he has a gift for, for taking a look at a situation and deep learning. Not mm. necessarily quick analysis, but really taking something, digging deep, and getting an understanding of it. Mm. Valuable. What else? These are all facets of God, so I jealously want to hear more of them. Well, I would, I, would, I would push back a little bit on that because I think it, it's, it's expensive for some, but it's, when it's your abundance, it feels free. And so that's sort of like a sign that that is your way, which is wonderful and valuable. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add to that, anyone? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Affirmations, I'll take them. That might be your thing. That's great. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing some of those, and at least you all got to take a piece of that home with you, even if you kept it all for yourself. Um, but thank you for sharing. Um, so that's something that I think Hild really would love, is that this community, particularly in this last moment, we just practiced 
sort of acknowledging all the different facets, many of which we may not have even identified as legitimate facets, right? As, oh, that's a gift or that's a form of abundance. Um, and that's why I think that community is so important when it comes to learning, is that you don't know how much there is out there that's foreign to you but could be part of your experience until you actually interact with people and meet them and sort of get to share in their particular harvest, which is wonderful. So what, um, what do you see about the, these abundances when it says that you can trade? What do you think that means? There's a very sort of mercenary side of that, um, but I think it may mean more than that. So what are some maybe your thoughts about trading in those gifts that you have? Yeah, I love that you used our buzzword, learn, too. Um, but it's true that you actually have to learn how to trade, right? How to actually affirm people and meet them in a way that's meaningful and lands with them. Mm -hmm. I think especially collaboration in the arts. Mm -hmm. You get a lyricist, a performer, a composer, and they all have to work together. So Mm. So true, so true. Yeah, I was thinking um, earlier, actually very early this morning, I'm like a weird person who wakes up like two, but anyway, um, <laughs> TMI. But anyway, um, I basically was thinking about how difference is so startling until it's gorgeous, you know, and how it's very much like I used to, when I first learned piano, I was like five and I'm like, you know, da 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 da, you know, okay, cool. But then I would make a mistake and have like a minor second, right? It's like, wow, what a transgression. So sorry, everyone. But when you later learn to realize, wow, there's such richness in that. And it says something so powerful when you have these sort of a collaboration of two differences that don't compromise. And that's so true, um, I think, when we um, sort of juxtapose our giftings even together. What else about trading in those gifts? Absolutely. Remonetizing, not to be all, you know, like, yes, the market, but remonetizing, revaluing re basically the things that we have to give, that they are a, a merit, they merit trading. Absolutely. So I am an actual economics professor. So I'm really <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't want to force myself to be limited here. But, no. You know, the idea is we all have different endowments, countries have mm -hmm. different endowments, and it's tremendously rich, but if we don't bring them together, mm. they're super limited and there's not much you can do with them. But in yeah. exchange, Mm -hmm. All parties to the exchange are enriched. Not one yeah. at the expense of another, but both together. Yes, and they each bring something different to that. So it's okay if you have a weird gift. It's not actually weird, it's just super unique and cool. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I'm thinking about the ambiguity of the word trade. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, it's almost yeah, it's almost like you, when you trade your gifts with people or trade in those gifts, you're actually teaching them in a way what this looks like. Hmm. Awesome. Cool. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, that's great. Um, permission granted. <laughs>
someone else, suddenly that becomes something of great value. Mm-hmm. In and of itself, it kind of just remains unused, untapped, just yeah. there, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sort of goes back to almost like a biblical principle of being the salt and the light, right? The light that draws the plants from the ground, the salt that, you know, brings out the taste that's inherent in other ingredients, but that is not necessarily surfacing without that extra component. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Very cool. Um, so I am going to end on a sad note because... That's life, man. No. Um, but, um, so, um, so here's the thing. So um, St. Hilda lived this, you know, rich life. It was, it's so interesting. It was evenly divided. 33 years as sort of not a f- full-on pagan in their terminology, but as a secular person who then came to, a, you know, a Christian faith. And then she entered sort of a monastic leadership life at age 33. Hints of Jesus there. Um, and then she moved into the rest of her life, the second half, she died at 66. So it's really equally divided. Now, the thing that's um, interesting is that the last seven years of her life, again, biblical number, anyway, um, she actually suffered from some terrible lingering disease. And so as her physical body was really you know, deteriorating, they actually think it's most likely tuberculosis. And so, and again, for back in that day, that's a long time to suffer from tuberculosis, to remain alive. And she already lived to be 66, which is remarkably old for that era. Um, I mean, it's the North England. It's cold, you know? Um, So she already was sort of amazing in the sense that she lived that long. But then she was, you know, suffering and physically wasting away. But during that time, she actually continued to, insert buzzword here, learn. Um, she continued to actually enrich in, enrich in her community and would exhort them with what she learned from her suffering and her illness. Um, and so in particular, if we look at the last part of this little, these little lines here, where she talks about, um, here we go. So um, train your hearts and lips to song, which again, interesting that juxtaposition between training, which sounds miserable, and song, which is delightful, right? But train your hearts and lips to song, which gives courage to the soul. And then this final component here, being buffeted by trials, learn to laugh. Being reproved, give thanks. Having failed, determine to succeed. What I recommend you do, what emerged to me at least um, when I was reading this for the gazillionth time, was that she begins each of those um, sort of coupled ideas there with, in this situation, do this, with sort of a this world real bummer, right? Like, oh, buffeted by trials again. Me too, right? Just classic situation. But then she adds almost this, um, it's very much a Christ-like response in that it's not fully normal in this world to respond with laughter. And she says to learn to. You aren't just like, I'm in pain. Ha ha ha. No. It's, it's this learning to see either the humor in your situation or just to enjoy what's still available to enjoy because it's still there. And that's how you actually sort of suss out those hidden abundances is when you're in such pain that you actually are unable to access sort of your go-to abundances and joys. And that's when you really sort of, it's sort of extruded from the pain of your experience. So when you're buffeted by trials, learn to laugh. Being reproved doesn't feel great, um, but she says give thanks, right? Turn that around and see that from a more eternal perspective as a gift. And then having failed in this world, determined to succeed in another. I don't think that by success there she means go kill all your enemies and win, right? I'm pretty sure that she is more emphasizing having failed in ways that you thought were once valuable, go succeed in ways that truly are. So with that, I would love to actually um, ask you what you think we can learn from Hild, from her life, from her way of being, um, and from her some of the teachings that we've discussed this morning. Any comments or also questions? If you have questions, I love questions. I have them all the time. Mm-hmm. I love that 33, which at that age would have been old. Yeah. Yeah. There was a real transformation switch. I think that's mm. 
Yeah, it's very Richard Rohr, you know, falling upward, hit the middle and change everything and grow further, right? It's really, it's encouraging, I think. Um, in particular, you know, if you feel like you, things need to change and you're afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's actually not the point of the gift, right? That's sort of like, you know, people, I know people frame their first dollar that they earn maybe in a business. I like don't earn many dollars, so I never frame them. But um, if you do, it's like that's symbolic, but then the whole point of having resources is not to be like, check out my resources, right? It's to then use them. So same with your giftings, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other comments or questions? It's a gift or a curse, I don't know. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> I was really struck by this um, race your wills to action that they may not be the spoils of weak desires. Mm-hmm. So there just seems to be there in this, you know, underneath all this that she lived a life of self-examination mm-hmm. um, and that yeah. she um, desired to grow deeper in God and the desires that she had for God, for mm-hmm. others, to share her gifts, um, rather than the desires to like, be something special or be mm-hmm. a person the world. You know what? Sure. Yeah, I know. So I, I love yeah. that. I, I really think this is just a you're welcome, and I cut it up small so that you can stick it in a book or hang it up somewhere or recycle it, and the tree won't be that offended. <laughs> um, yes, thank you. All right, um, well, thank you so much for your attention, energy, sharing, engagement. I really appreciate it, and it's just been an honor to share with you. I hope to get to meet many more of you in the future.